Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and so I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, beginning of verse 1, where Paul says, My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause of pride. For all must carry their own loads. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray again. God, again, we're thankful for your holy word, for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Boundaries are difficult issues for us. We looked last week as we began this conversation on boundaries, about our spiritual boundaries, that ability to, to pause from the busyness of our lives, to withdraw and, and have some time alone with God, and how Jesus showed us the example of boundaries, that even when crowds of people would be coming to Jesus for good reason, they wanted to hear Him teach about the kingdom of God, they had loved ones they wanted him to touch and heal. They, they were coming with good reasons, important things, so many important good things for Jesus to be doing, and yet he would still withdraw periodically to a private place to pray and to have time with God. He knew that to love others well meant that he first had to love and take care of his own soul and his own relationship with God. To love others well, we first have to say yes to loving ourselves. But boundaries are challenging, especially if, if they're relationship boundaries. They, they can be so difficult for us to have. And, and God is the one who established the concept of boundaries. We, we shared last week that in Genesis, God creates this beautiful creation, and it's good. As a matter of fact, it's very good. And he puts Adam and Eve there in the middle of the Garden of Eden, and they have everything they could possibly want. But God said, now this one tree, don't touch it and don't eat it. But, but you know, other, everything else, it's yours. You know, just enjoy it. I'm going to walk regularly with you. And the very first temptation was the breaking of boundaries. I mean, the first temptation was when Satan comes up and goes, you know that's not true, right? You know that's not true, right? And so when boundaries are broken, then chaos kind of enters the world. And, and God established boundaries for us, not because God is a God of no, but really because God is a God of yes. And in order to say yes to the things that are really important to us, sometimes we have to learn to say no to things that can harm us. I mean, you can look at the Ten Commandments for an example, because when God wants us to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and our mind, He goes, this is what that looks like. So here's some lines you can't cross. No other gods. If we're going to have this relationship, I've got to be your only God. No idols. Don't take my name in vain. And, and keep the Sabbath so that, that we have time to be together and, and we can share our lives and our hearts and our souls together. 
I think God talks to us about boundaries with each other. And in order to have healthy relationships with one another, there's, there are other boundaries that we have, like, like honor your father and your mother. That's a line. There's a boundary there. Or do not murder. I mean, how can you say you love your neighbor if you're willing to murder? And so don't, don't just go kill somebody out of whatever interest you may have. And, and then he goes, don't commit adultery. How can you say you love your neighbor if you're willing to violate your own family and someone else's family? And don't, don't go lying and don't go stealing and don't covet. And the point was, it was not that God was saying no, 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 no. But God is in order, in order for this yes to be absolutely amazing. These are the things you must say no to. These are the boundaries that can break those relationships. I was thinking this morning on the way in, it's kind of like driving down the road. When I was coming into church this morning, on the road there were some clear signs of boundaries. As a matter of fact, there was a, a line in the middle of the road that said, hey, this is your lane. You need to stay in your lane. If you get over into somebody else's lane, your well-being and the well-being of somebody else could be jeopardized. So these are the boundaries that are set for you. Stay in your lane. And that's kind of what God is trying to share with us as well, that, there, that when we step outside of our boundaries, our well-being and the well-being of others can be jeopardized. But boundaries and relationships are challenging when the second great commandment, according to Jesus, is that we love one another. And doesn't it seem like I'm not really loving my neighbor if I say no sometimes? Or we may actually have this fear that if I, if I draw this boundary line, my friend may no longer be my friend. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, if being who God calls you to be jeopardizes your friendship, you may want to reevaluate that friendship anyway. And what kind of friendship that is. But we struggle. So Paul, I think, helps us out here a little bit. Now, Paul sometimes is a little challenging to read. I mean, some scholars believe that Paul starts writing gets up to go grab a cup of coffee, comes back periodically, sits down, goes, where was I? Well, anyway, and starts writing, and you're going, what? So he can be a little challenging at times to read and where are his connections and how did he get there? But here's what Paul is doing. He's talking about loving our neighbor. And if you flip back to chapter 5, verse 14, he says, now the whole law can be summarized in loving each other. So Paul says, now if one of you have been found in a transgression, he says, now those of you who have experienced the Spirit of God, you should go try to restore them with a spirit of gentleness. But now notice he said, as those of you who are strong in the faith and, and are mature in the faith, you're the ones that need to go restore because he even challenges them. He goes, now be careful that you don't get tempted because sometimes when you go over to try to pick somebody else up, you get sucked into their stuff. So you have to be careful that you don't get tempted to sin. But then he said, bear one another's burdens. And when you bear one another's burdens, then you fulfill the law of God. Well, what was that? He just told us in chapter 5, verse 14, that means love your neighbor. So when you bear each other's burdens, you're really showing that you love each other. So there you go. I'm to spend my life all over somebody else. Well, but then verse 5, he comes back and goes, but each of you must bear your own load. Bear one another's burdens. And yet, we're called to carry 
our own loads. And the point I think that Paul is trying to make, if you look at the word for burden, that Greek word, is there are times that we're carrying something that is overwhelming. It's too much for us. We can't handle this on our own. And so then we're called to come alongside of someone to help carry their burden. We're, we're called alongside of them to, to help bear their burden. But, but it, we're not called alongside of them to own their burden. To take it from them. That's not in our ability and that's not our calling. We're not called to go, you know, I took it, now you go on. And, and then the person that was carrying it originally goes and sits down in a recliner. That's not the plan. Is come alongside of someone and help them. Love them and help them through it. But you're not called to own it. Everybody has to carry their own load. Back to the driving example that I gave before, as I was driving down the road, there were a few times that I was allowed to cross over. I mean, periodically on the line, there would be some dotted lines that said, now, in this area right here, if for some reason you need to get over into somebody else's lane, you can and there are times you need to get around or you need to do something. So if for a while you need to get in somebody else's lane, you can get over there. But notice you're not allowed to stay there. It's only for a while and then the lane changes or the line changes and says, now get back over in your lane. Get back over in your stuff. And I think that's kind of what Paul is trying to share us here is that as we're going down the road, there comes a time where I need to merge over into your lane and help you carry your stuff. But I'm not called to stay there. Because then all of a sudden, our relationship gets so blurred and your stuff becomes my stuff and what was helping becomes enabling and codependency and a whole lot of other ugly stuff. And that's why the lane then will go, now, get back over. Get back over. I think one of the great examples of that is the story of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan story is told in the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells us the story, remember, there was a guy that was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among a band of thieves and they rob him, they beat him, and they leave him in the ditch to die. And then a priest comes by and, and he's too busy getting to the temple so he doesn't stop. And then the Levite comes by and he's the assistant to the priest and trying to catch up with the priest and worried he's going to be late by the priest. And, and so he just goes on by. But finally, the Samaritan comes. Do you remember the story? And what does the Samaritan do? He sees his person in need, his friend in need. He stops. He bandages their wound. He puts them on his own animal. Takes them to an inn where they can get the help that they need. He provides the resources for that person to receive the help that he needs. And then he gets back in his own lane. Did you catch that? He said to the innkeeper, now you take care of him and and I'll be back through here later when I'm through doing what I'm doing. And I'll double check to make sure you've got everything you need. But he leaves. You see, he was called to help his neighbor and bear his neighbor's burdens, but he wasn't carried to own it. He wasn't called to own it. So he makes sure that the neighbor's taken care of, but he doesn't get too involved. Involved, but not too involved. 
Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34, he goes, I'm going to give you a new commandment. The new commandment is that you love one another. And I was always thinking, well, that just seems weird because that's not a new commandment at all. It's actually in Leviticus. It's an old commandment. Why does Jesus say it's a new commandment? Well, read what Jesus said. He goes, actually, I said, I'm calling on you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, there's the twist, as I've loved you. And how did Jesus love? Well, Jesus' love for us was unconditional. And his love for us was sacrificial. He's willing to lay down his life for us. But Jesus also had boundaries. Did you notice Jesus had boundaries? I mean, a lot of times when when people would try to force Jesus to do something he didn't want to do or didn't feel called to do, he'd go, wait a minute. Not, not yet. Remember in John chapter 6 when he fed the 5,000, they went, oh, this guy's going to be king. We're going to make him king because anybody can feed us like this, we're going to be all right if he's king. And Jesus slips away and goes, I don't think so. I don't think so. He even says to his mother one time, you want to talk about differentiation and boundary issues, Jesus had it figured out. When you can say to mom, it's not yet my time. You have figured it out. Jesus had boundaries, and he, and he says regularly, that's not what I'm called for. This, when people would try to push their agendas on Jesus, he kept his lines drawn. He knew how to love well. He knew how to love within boundaries that were healthier for himself and for others. So the new commandment is to love one another like I've loved you. Like I've loved you. But we have issues with boundaries. I mean, they, they mess us up, especially family issues. Whew. I mean, do you know why there's so many mother-in-law jokes? <laughs> it's because we get them. I mean, we understand them. We hear the joke and we're not left going, what? It's because we all have so much dysfunction in our own families that we get the joke. We actually understand what the point of the joke was because most of us have issues within our, our families of, of boundaries and blurring and all kinds of issues. When I meet with couples before they get married, I do the premarital counseling with them and I love to spend time with them. And one of the things I remind them that you read repeatedly in counseling material is you have to leave before you can cleave. In other words, you may have had this relationship with this family and, and, and with your parents and family, but before you can really experience marriage, you've got to realize that relationship now changes. As the father of a daughter who just got married about a year and a half ago, that, that, that can be challenging sometimes because before that guy, <laughs> I was the number one person in my daughter's life as far as a guy's concerned, as far as a man's concerned. I was the number one man in her life. And now all of a sudden, there's this guy. And we had conversation that he now needs to be the one that you call first. And he now needs to be the one that you lean to first. Now that doesn't mean our relationship is broken. Because as a matter of fact, when you know, I share with her as we were planning the ceremony, when it comes to the point of the presentation, I will present you to be married. I will bless your marriage. I will not give you away. Because when I'm 75 and you're 50, you will still be my little girl. So I'm not breaking the relationship. The relationship changes. 
As a matter of fact, the stole I now wear whenever I do a wedding, they gave me the stole, the, the stole like this, different one, but like this. And, and, on, and, and on the inside of it, in purple, which is the, her color, it says, I will always be your little girl. You know, I mean, that's true, but the relationship is different now. It's got to be different now. It's now an adult-adult relationship. It's different now. But boundaries are important. For their marriage to be successful, there had to be some new lines that were drawn. I share with couples, you've got to talk about them. What are your boundaries in your relationship? And your boundaries may look different than others, but how much are you going to share with, with your families about your lives and about what's going on? What are the boundaries that you have? You've, you've got to talk about it. You've got to pray about it. You've got to identify them, and then you've got to honor them. In, in his book, Money, Sex, and Spiritual Power, Keith Drury talk, has a chapter that's called The Anatomy of Adultery. As a matter of fact, I even wrote to the publisher and said, can I, can I print that chapter off and use that when I'm working with couples? And, and so I, I received permission to be able to do it. I use it regularly with couples. The anatomy of adultery, because one of the things he talks about is that the boundary that often destroys marriages is not because that someday somebody decided, I think I'm just going to be unfaithful today. I think I'm going to go out and commit infidelity. It's, that that's not what normally happens. What normally happens is there's a line. It, it appears to be an insignificant fine line, but there's a boundary line, and we cross it. It didn't appear to be that big a deal. But then we get comfortable where we are to the point that now there's a new line. And it now appears to, to be insignificant. It appears not to be that big of a deal. So we cross it. And now there's a, another line that's drawn, and, and over time we, we cross it. And we start getting comfortable again with where we are today, and, and another line gets crossed, and another line gets crossed, and, and then one day we wake up beside of someone else going, how did this happen? And the way it happened was not because there was some bold line that was crossed. What happened was there was a little boundary and a little boundary and a little boundary and a little boundary. And what happens is a lot of little thin lines put together is one bold line. And now we're in a mess that we don't know how to deal with. Because we had boundary issues way back here. So in our relationships... Where are our boundaries and, and our relationships with the people that we love? And parenting? Lord knows we have boundary issues. I mean, if y'all get tomorrow off, that gives us time to talk about what I need to say. <laughs> I mean, parenting boundary issues are absolutely amazing. So many parents cross boundary lines without even realizing it. And, and one of the biggest dangers that, that so many of us parents have is we want to be our children's best friends. But God knew that your children needed a mature adult in their lives. That as they were growing and maturing, they would need somebody with some wisdom and some experience and some love that would walk with them and help them develop their boundaries, show them consequences for boundaries, God knew, and, and parents, I want you to hear this. Your calling to be a parent is a much higher calling than to be their best friend. 
Your calling to be your, your kid's parent is a much higher calling than to be their best friend. Take the higher road. Be that friend. Because here's the problem again. We tell our kids, here's a lot, you better not cross this. This is a boundary. This is a rule. But they cross it. And we go, all right, I'm going I'm to take care of this for you this time. But don't let it happen again. And all of a sudden what they learn is that line was not a real line. That line was insignificant. That line really meant nothing. And so then we draw a new line. And then our kid messes up and goes, I have told you, I told you the last time. Now this is the last time. Do you hear me? This is the last time. I mean, how many last times do we have? And yet we'll draw this line and our kid messes up and, and rather than them having any consequences for their behavior, we rescue them again. And then we draw a new line and they go, so none of those lines really mean anything. The real line must be further over. And they keep trying and trying and trying until finally they cross a line that we do not have the power or the resources to rescue them from. And now they're dealing with consequences that are beyond our control. And the consequences of crossing that line are so much worse than the consequences had we held it to them way back here. Parents, for God's sake, and that's intentional, be parents. Be parents. Because when we learn that boundaries mean nothing, man, we get in trouble over here. Because remember, a series of fine lines add up to one bold line over here that's hard to recover from. We, we, Nancy and I were kind of the cruel parents, I guess, when our kids were younger. You know, I, I think my kids have turned out well, and with, with some more therapy, they're going to be good. <laughs> I mean, our, our parenting, parenting's not easy. I mean, we had two kids in and, and, and the same house, same rules, same everything, but they're different. They're different, and parenting has got to be different. But, but, but we decided, you know, we've got to teach our kids some responsibility. So when our kids turned 16, we, we told them we helped them get a car. They did not get a new car, a new fancy car, but they got a car. I mean, one of the reasons they didn't get a new fancy car is because I didn't think they needed a new fancy car because I figured they're going to wreck that car. The other reason they didn't get it is because I'm a preacher. <laughs> they couldn't get a new fancy car. I'm, I'm always amazed when I go to the school parking lots to see the teacher lot and the student lot. Students drive much better cars than teachers. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we told them, you know, we're going to help you get a car. We'll get you the car. And, and we're going to pay the insurance. Because when you're married to an insurance agent, you, you know, here are the rules. This is what it's going to cost us. We're going to cover that. But now if you do something stupid... You get to pay for stupid. If you end up getting a ticket because you did something crazy, then, then that's on you. If you have an accident because you did something crazy, that's on you. Well, one day, one of our kids, I won't name which one, but since I only have two, you've got a 50-50 chance of picking it up. <laughs> one day, one of our kids was coming home, and, and they weren't going that fast, but, but they made a mistake, and their speed got a little high, and then the blue light gets behind them, and then they are introduced to a pink piece of paper. 
They came home from school and they were so distraught. They had to tell us, did something stupid. Well, what are we going to do? You know, we've we got to figure out how we're going to deal with it. So I had a colleague that I'd been working with when I was on the board of trustees at the hospital. And so I, you know, I, I knew this attorney. And I, said, I called the attorney and, and I said, you know, here's what happened. And, you know, sent him over a copy of the ticket. And, you know, here's the deal. And, and they go, well, you know, this is what we can do. And, and for this cost, this cost, this cost, it'll be about this much to, you know, to deal with this issue for you. Okay. Well, I already knew. Nancy and I discussed it. Here's the solution. Here's how much it's going to cost. But we didn't tell our child. We just said, you have an appointment on this day at 4 o'clock with an attorney. I gotta, can you go? I'll go with you. Can you go instead of me? I'm not the one. I'm not the one who created this situation. No, I'm not going. For you, I'll go with you. They come home from school, get changed into something that looks like you can go meet an attorney. And, and, and we went and we sat down and, and well, tell me what happened. They already knew what happened. We already had a solution and Nancy had already written a check. I had it in my wallet. But my, our kid didn't know it. So here's what happened. They had to tell. Here's what I did. Here's the mistake that I made. Well, here's some options. We already knew what the solution was going to be, but they needed to go through the process. How much is it going to be? This. You got that kind of money? No. I'll loan it to you. Loan it to you. We wrote the check, paid the bill, came home, created an Excel spreadsheet, put it on the refrigerator. <laughs> is that not true? I, I can't lie to you. I'm in church. Here was the amount. And every time they would earn a little bit of money, because in high school you don't make a lot of money, but it's going to take a while, but you know, minus $20, minus $15, minus $10, minus $15, minus $10, minus $20, until it was paid in full and Mark paid in full, torn up and thrown away. Because here was my fear. If we don't learn that this line is real, it becomes irrelevant. And the next line is this one. This one could be deadly. This one could be deadly. It's a whole lot easier to learn back here. In their book, Boundaries, Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend says, parenting with love and limits, with warmth and consequences, produces confident children who have a sense of control over their lives. Parents. For God's sake, be parents. It is a much higher calling than being their best friend. We could go on. There are boundary issues with friendships. I mean, one of the things I try to share with people with friendships is you need to ask yourself, is it a genuine friendship? Is it a balanced relationship? Or is one person the power person and everybody else is trying to please them? Because if one person is the power person and everybody else is trying to please them, you need to ask your question, is that called friendship or servitude? Which is it? And why do we give that kind of power? I, I remember a conversation with our daughter. I think middle school, maybe early high school, I can't remember now, but 
But I remember us having the conversation. I went, why do you give this person so much power over your life? And I went, I don't give them power over my life. Yes, you do. If you are so preoccupied with what they think, what they feel, will they like you, will they? You've given them incredible power. And we have to ask ourselves, if I'm willing to bend my boundaries and my world for someone else, is that really friendship? And what kind of friend makes me change who God has called me to be. Boundaries. We need boundaries in our lives. God created boundaries from the beginning. Boundaries in our relationship with God and boundaries in our relationship with each other. And so when he says love God and love each other, that means within these boundaries. Because it's not about saying no, it's about saying yes well. It's not about not loving your neighbor. It's about loving them well. So I invite you to take a moment and be honest with yourself. Where are your boundary lines blurred? And where do you need to redefine who God is calling you to be? Your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And redefine those lines with grace but redefine those lines and be honest with yourself and with others. Jesus gave us the example that to love well means you first have to say yes to your soul and to your God so that then you can be who God has called you to be to your neighbor. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Will you stand as we sing?